Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. My guest today is Colin Ford, a manager with the Pew Charitable Trust's Fiscal Federalism Initiative, where he has research on state and federal spending on natural disasters and other topics. Colin is one of the key authors of a new report released last week titled Wildfires Burning Through State Budgets, in which he and the broader team at Pew looked at how efforts to address risks and impacts from wildfires are stressing coffers in several affected states. As wildfires continue to grow in both number and severity, the issue of how to pay for wildfire mitigation and recovery efforts is a really critical one for officials at many levels of government. So join Colin and me as we review both the challenges and opportunities for better coordination that he and his team have identified. Stay with us. Hi, Colin. It's really great to talk with you today. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So quickly, before we dive into the report, we always like to kind of get to know our guests a little bit. And so I wanted to ask you to just share a little bit about yourself. Uh, It can be about how you ended up working on fiscal federalism issues or um, just more in general about your background. Absolutely. And just, you know, quickly, uh, for those who don't know, the Pew Charitable Trust, we're a nonpartisan nonprofit research and public policy organization. And my team in particular, the Fiscal Federalism Initiative, works on areas where federal spending policy affects state budgets and economies. Um, And as you mentioned, I I primarily work on our line of work related to natural disaster spending and budgeting. Before Pew, I worked for five years for a member of Congress who was on the House Appropriations and Budget Committees, which is really where my background in fiscal policy came. Um, But I I also had a chance to work in that member of Congress's district office which was a really important opportunity for me um, to see how some of the policy that happens in Washington really plays out in people's everyday lives and to learn you know, about the different stakeholders uh, that really go into policymaking. Great. Okay. Well, it sounds like you are very well positioned to be uh, authoring this type of research. And so let's let's dive in and let's talk a little bit about this report. And I, I wanted to note, um, it's always really nice for me to be able to feature brand new work on the show. It's kind of exciting to be a part of the rollout plan. And I will note that the report, again, it's called Wildfires Burning Through State Budgets. It was released on November 30th. We've covered wildfire-related issues before on the podcast, but they've often been from the lens of, of impacts to property, impacts to human health. And we haven't really tackled this budget question, as as far as I know, in depth. And so how did the Fiscal Federalism Initiative in particular become interested in looking at these budgetary impacts? How did this come on your radar? Sure. So as I alluded to, this report is part of a long-term line of research that our team has been working on related to how different levels of government pay for disasters um, and how that interacts and and how that's changing um, in an era of more frequent expensive and severe disasters. So really all levels of government, federal, state, and local play a role in paying for disasters in the US. Um, And the spending related to those disasters as may not be a surprise is on the rise. So we've really been thinking about, you know, what does that mean not only for, you know, how you pay for disaster recovery, which is becoming more expensive, but also how can we recalibrate our spending? So it's more oriented towards uh, investments on the front end that could help mitigate or you know reduce the impacts of disasters 
going into the future. This report in particular, we wanted to focus on wildfires because there are so many unique challenges related to, to wildfires that somewhat set them apart from uh, you know, other disasters like floods or hurricanes, uh, which are managed by different federal agencies, different state agencies, and bring uh, to bear kind of different intergovernmental relationships. So that's, that really was the, the impetus behind uh, this report. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And that's a great lead in because I did want to ask you to kind of give give us a flavor of the types of expenses that these state budgets typically have to cover when dealing with wildfires, and maybe something about the different funding mechanisms that they actually use to cover those expenses. So, you know, given that it is kind of a, a different animal than some of the other um, disasters that they're dealing with, can you say just a little bit more about what that looks like? Sure thing. And I think that's a really important question, because I think more often than not, if you think wildfire uh, you're thinking about, you know, a firefighter or a plane kind of dousing a blaze, um, you know, while it's burning. But in reality, governments are paying for wildfire management-related activities before, during, and after a fire occurs. Um, so to to drill down on that a little bit, you know, before a fire, uh, governments are spending on things like prevention, so that's you know trying to stop the fire from starting in the first place, mitigation, which again are those activities that can help reduce the impact of of fires when they do occur, things like uh, prescribed burns or you know building homes with more fire-resistant materials. And they're also spending before the fire on preparedness. So that's making sure the equipment, people, resources are ready to go when a fire does occur. So then during a fire, as I, as I mentioned, you know that's when you see the true firefighting trying to extinguish or change the path of the fire. Um, but then after a fire occurs, uh, the governments are spending on recovery. And that's something that yet we've seen to an increasing extent, uh, for example, um, in the major fires that happened in California recently, uh, where a federal emergency management agency came in after the fact with um, you know, major investments in recovery. Um, so really, there is a big suite of government-funded activities that happen related to wildfire management. That's something really important um, to take away from this is that it's not just about suppression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good flag. Yeah, and that's a great lead in too, because um, I know you and your team base this research not only on, and I'm going to quote here, an extensive review of existing research and publicly available data, end quote. Uh, but you also did a number of interviews with experts in Alaska, California, Florida, Nevada, Texas, and Washington. So some states that are significantly affected by wildfires, as well as interviews at the federal level. So a lot of different kind of data sources coming together here. Can you say just a little bit more about kind of your selection process for who you spoke with? And I'm, I'm really curious if you learned some important things, particularly from the interviews that you weren't able to learn from that publicly available data and research. Sure. So I'll start with um, the, the state folks we spoke to and kind of the type of individuals who we really wanted to speak with. Um, first, were officials from state forestry agencies. So those are the agencies that are most directly involved in dealing with wildfire management issues. They're often located in state natural resource agencies, but that does vary state by state. We also wanted to talk to budget experts and, and fiscal experts to really get kind of the back end view of how the financial management of wildfires really works in these states. So whether that was an executive office that manages the budget often for the governor or a legislative fiscal office, um, those were the folks who we really wanted to 
to drill down on this with. And then finally, emergency managers. You know, each state has an emergency management office, similar to like the state level version of FEMA, and they're really important in terms of coordinating. You know, especially the response and recovery. Um, but like I said, um, as related to you know fires uh, in, in California, there's an increasing role for the emergency management world in funding recovery um, from from fires. So we really wanted to get that perspective as well. And then on the federal level, we really wanted to make sure that we spoke to some of the biggest players. Um, you know, wildfire management at the federal level is split across multiple agencies. Um, and so we spoke with the United States Forest Service, the Department of Interior, FEMA, and experts at the Congressional Research Service to make sure we really got that federal perspective right. Great. And what did those interviews uh, tease out for you that, that the data kind of didn't show? So we definitely learned a lot from the interviews. Um, I think first and foremost, it, it can be very difficult to ascertain how the state level budget processes really work just using public documents. Um, so it was really critical to talk to the folks who actually you know, manage both the fire related programs and the finances behind them in order to really drill down you know, how things work. So to give an example of that, uh, we knew that states were using some estimates in order to figure out how much to um, allocate towards wildfires every year, but it really took talking to the folks who make those estimates to understand how that really works and how they apply it. We also learned um, a lot about workforce issues, which was not a topic that we had necessarily identified before, but that came up you know, repeatedly in our interviews uh, related to both the need to recruit and retain staff to fight fires as as they become bigger and you know the fire season expands, but also to hire a new sort of cohort of, of, of folks who are experts in wildfire mitigation practices, you know, like I mentioned, prescribed burning or mechanical thinning, which is kind of clearing out fuel or, or you know brush that can cause fires, um, as well as experts in uh, you know grants and financial management. Um, and that's particularly related to some major federal investments that have happened recently to promote the types of mitigation activities um, that, that I've mentioned that can save costs in the long term. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to, yeah, let's come back to some of those because I, I, I feel like a number of those things probably present challenges for states to deal with. So let's, I'm going to put a pin to that, but let's. Absolutely. But yeah, I want to turn to some of your conclusions and, and findings after all of this data collection effort too. And I want to start just by kind of ground truthing what I think you referenced a little bit at the beginning, but this sense that I think from the outside, it certainly feels like costs must be going up when it comes to these wildfire, um, firefighting suppression and recovery efforts, just given how big and frequent these fires are getting. So that seems like a given, but I did want to ground truth that with you and maybe get a little bit more detail on kind of the specific ways in which costs have or haven't changed over the years in the jurisdictions that you looked at. Any comments on that? Sure. I think one important thing is to tease out what we are talking about when it comes to costs. So I think wildfires come with a lot of associated costs and those you know can include you know, damage to the environment, um, disruption of economies, and of course, you know, disruptions and unfortunately loss of human life. Um, for the purpose of this research, we're using costs as a synonym for government spending. Um, so I want to kind of lay that out there because there really are a lot of 
you know, costs associated with, with, with wildfires, and we're really drilling down on this one. But to your question, it's a really hard question to ground truth, and that's in part because of the limited data that's available and the limited comprehensive data that's available about wildfire spending, as well as the really complex intergovernmental way we pay for it. But to start with what we do know, you know, at the federal level, I mentioned that some of the biggest agencies involved um, are the U.S. Forest Service and the Department of Interior. Their funding for wildfire management doubled from 2011 to 2020. If we look at the state level, where again, data is hard to come by in terms of comprehensively understanding what a state has spent. Um, but we have good figures for the state of Washington, and we know that their state level spending on wildfires tripled when you compare the first half of the 2010s to the to the second half. But you know, uh, you know, one of the things we really highlight, as I've mentioned now a few times, is, is the lack of comprehensive data, the lack of reporting that makes your original question really hard to nail down. Um, and it's such an important question because it really helps define what the problem is and get it in policymakers' faces, <laughs> essentially, you know, that this is a problem, this is affecting your state's budget, this is affecting, you know, your planning into the future, and we need to start tackling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly sounds like that lack of data, <laughs> and certainly preaching to the choir to an organization like RFF that, you know, relies on data for so much of its research, but that lack of data is is certainly a, a challenge as states try to navigate this budgeting um, for these wildfire-related costs. And I guess I'm wondering what some of those other challenges are. I feel this is where I'm going to come back to my pin that I put in earlier, because you mentioned um, that there are sort of cost estimation issues. There are some, probably some reimbursement and coordination issues. Can you say just a little bit more about some of those other challenges that they're facing? Sure. So I think one of the main challenges is perhaps not surprising that that fires, like other disasters, are unpredictable. um, And it's always been difficult to kind of guess how much your state is going to spend on on wildfires in a given year. We heard from states that, you know, in the past they may have used just a flat number to, you know, appropriate to wildfire purposes every year, but that many had improved on that kind of uh, blunt approach by implementing estimates, um, looking backwards at previous year's expenses and trying to, you know, use those predictively to figure out how much they should allocate in a given year uh, towards wildfires. So for example, Alaska looks back at the least expensive of the last 10 years. Uh, Nevada averages the previous five years minus uh, federal reimbursements they've they've received. Um, but we heard from folks that particularly in the last five to 10 years, those estimates are really undershooting the actual expenses of disasters or uh, of fires, I should say. And that that's leading states to rely heavily on emergency budgeting mechanisms, um, things like supplemental appropriations, where the legislature is gathering back together to pass additional funding, um, or you know transferring funds within the state in order to deal with the issue. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those tactics. I mean, they're really important in in funding something unpredictable and something that can be really urgent uh, for for the state to deal with. Um, but the real effect is to obscure the total cost of wildfires from the annual budgeting process, which means that it's it's not clear to policymakers how it's affecting their their budget, and it's impeding their ability to think long term about you know what these costs are looking like and what they could do uh, to start to address them. 
Another issue relates to reimbursement. Um, so I mentioned before that the federal, state, and local governments all have roles to play in wildfire management, and they are coordinated in a large number of agreements known as cooperative agreements that allow them to both coordinate suppression, but more importantly, at least in terms of our research, uh, allows them to um, make each other whole uh, when they perform you know, services for one another. So to give an example, um, if a fire starts on federal land, um, but a state fire service is the near most, you know, close by and ready to respond, they can do so. Um, and then eventually down the line, the federal government will pay uh, the state for that personnel and equipment. Um, but what we heard from states is that often that reimbursement process is lengthy. And in the meantime, the state has forwarded that money um, and is waiting to be made whole. So that creates some cash flow challenges. And here it's important to remember that states, unlike the federal government, need to balance their spending and revenues. So it's especially sensitive when you have these kind of outstanding unpaid reimbursements um, hanging out for, for months or even years. And that that's something that, you know, as more money is being moved around um, to deal with bigger fires could potentially become uh, even more of an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting example. I guess I didn't, I didn't really kind of um, home in on the fact that so much of the land in the West is, in fact, public land owned by the federal government. And so those jurisdictional issues become even more important in places where wildfires are most frequent. So um, I could see that that would be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely one of the things that makes wildfires a uniquely challenging hazard. Um, and part of the reason we really wanted to, to study it, uh, to get at some of those jurisdictional issues and intergovernmental issues. Right. But you also make a really good point that, you know, when the fire is happening, you don't want to sit around and sort of get on the phone and be like, are you paying for this one? Am I paying for this one? So, right. So you really do need to have those mechanisms put in place for reimbursement later on. Exactly. Uh, another so I, wa- I wanted to ask about one other kind of jurisdictional question, too. And I was really intrigued to see that the report included a special call out for the role that tribes often play in supporting uh, wildfire related mitigation and recovery efforts. And so can you say just a, a bit about what you heard from state officials on that front? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. And we, we really wanted to include that in the report because we did hear about it um, from the states that we interviewed. Um, the main point is that, you know, Tribes play a critical role in, in, in wildfire management throughout the country, um, and it can look very different. Um, you know, tribes have or their own uh, relationships with, with federal partners, um, whether the, that federal partner is a land management agency that they coordinate with on, on wildfire management, or in some cases, the federal government actually holds the, the, the tribal land in trust, meaning that the federal government is directly involved in, in wildfire management on that tribal land. We heard from states that they also have unique relationships with tribes. Nevada uh, shared with us that they work with at least 27 tribes in the state um, and have kind of different relationships with each of them as it relates to you know how they pay for and how they manage wildfire suppression and, and other activities. And then at least 90 tribes uh, throughout the country manage their own wildfire management programs. Um, So we really wanted to include that just to be able to uh, paint a more complete picture of all of the players involved in in wildfire management um, and just how complex and interjurisdictional the funding flows are. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, you've done a great job of painting that picture. And I want to make sure that, you know, we've talked a lot about challenges. We've talked a lot about kind of the various players and some of the roles that they have. So combining all of that learning and knowledge, what recommendations do you and your co-authors offer for officials who are trying to make sure that these wildfire mitigation and recovery efforts don't, you know, end up draining state coffers? Sure. So we have three main recommendations uh, that we derive from our findings. The first is that states should strengthen and assess the way that they budget for wildfires. So I, I referenced the types of backwards estimates that states are using. So we suggest that they take a close look at those, um, compare them to the actual expenses they're facing, and really start to take into account rising fire risk when they're thinking about how they appropriate annually or biennially for wildfire purposes. The second recommendation is to maximize investment in mitigation. So again, those are those sort of cost-saving activities um, that can reduce the impact of wildfires into the future. So that means not only putting more dollars towards it, um, but also making sure those dollars are protected um, from suppression costs. So that they that it's not a pool of money that can get robbed when a big fire happens, but really to direct that funding towards those risk reduction activities. And then finally, and I've, I've mentioned this a few times now, um, improving the tracking and reporting of data on state spending. Um, and this is actually an enterprise that, that the federal government could, could undertake as well, um, which is to really make a, a publicly available, continually reported, and comprehensive uh, source uh, of, of spending information to really, like I'm like I was saying, start to acknowledge the problem of, of increased spending and you know spur action to help manage it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, Colin, this has been really interesting, and thanks for again for putting this report together, for coming on the podcast as part of your your introduction of this report. Um, I certainly hope that folks take a look at what you've put together. And uh, so we'll close our recording today with our regular end feature, Top of the Stack. And I wanted to ask you um, if you had any recommendations, good content, could be a book, could be a podcast on this topic or not, anything that you'd want to share with our listeners. So Colin, what's on the top of your stack? So this is kind of embarrassingly wonky, um, but there is a recent Government Accountability Office report called Disaster Recovery, Actions Needed to Improve the Federal Approach. And I think it's such a valuable document because they looked at 11 things that could change in federal disaster recovery policy, everything from the granular, um, you know, how to communicate about disaster recovery programs um, to really ambitious and big thinking about, you know, reimagining the entire federal role. And I think for those of us who work in this space, it can be really difficult to think about how the status quo could change, but what we're seeing around us um, really calls for for change. So it's so important that they've put, you know, the thought um, into that type of document. And I'd say other than that, I have a 16-month-old daughter, so I spend a lot of time reading the baby version of Highlights, which is called Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So I I have to put put a plug in for that because I spend a lot of my time outside of work reading that. Oh, nice. Well, I... Hope you know that there's no such thing as embarrassingly wonky here on Resources Radio. We love a good wonky publication. So that's a great recommendation. And of course, you know, 
having read highlights a million times over when I was a kid, there's nothing, there's really nothing better when you're a kid. So that sounds amazing. And I hope all of those are, are very fulfilling in their own ways. Well, thanks, Colin. It's been a pleasure. Hope our listeners get a chance to, to look at the new research you've put out. Appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to Resources Radio, a podcast from Resources for the Future. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. This podcast is made possible with the generous financial support of our listeners. You can help us continue producing these kinds of discussions on the topics that you care about by making a donation to Resources for the Future online at rff.org donate. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.